Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? So let's pray and kind of gather the people back together. Father, we thank you for Kathy's prayer. Lord, we pray that you'd secure our hearts and minds with your peace, your power, your protection, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive the revelation of your truth. Lord, I thank you that you have gathered us here this day for your purposes because you are God and you are good. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as you said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, that you'd bring us to those places of revelation because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ that brings us to freedom and releases us from the control and the destruction, the death of the enemy. So, Father, I pray that for your power to go forward right now, even to bring healing, cleansing, even as we're listening, that you connect the dots, that you deliver people from guilt, shame, confusion, condemnation, and lies. I thank you, Lord Jesus. You also promised us that no weapon formed against us will prosper that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. So we thank you, Lord, for covering us and our families and all that pertains to us and them. Those who work for us and the many who are here today, their families and those who have come for help and prayer in the past, that you give us encouragement, answers to prayer, revelation, position, places, and your power, Lord, would manifest and work in and through us, Father, that we would discern the real and the true from the counterfeit Father, help us to understand spiritual warfare. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. um, I have a lot of stuff over there. I'm going to talk fast and um, probably too fast, but I'll try to keep it. We have to understand that everything starts out spiritual. It's a spiritual war. A lot of us live in the natural. We try to figure things out, and I think, Charity, you were just saying that uh, 20% of our, our release and healing comes from the, from the natural, the foods you eat, but, but 80% comes from what you think. And that's where the battle is. The battle is in your, between your soul and your spirit. Um, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, lies, and uh, things that, you're ma- that are manifesting in your physical body are coming out of lies, every <coughs> one of them. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if that is true, then if there's something going wrong, you're believing a lie. That is a fact. That is a scientifically proven fact. If you go back to the word and allow the Lord to show you what those lies are, Jesus said, you shall know truth, and the truth through his word will set us free. Going back to Karen's opening remarks, um, uh, um, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That was Job. That was in the middle of Job's fiery trial. Job did not understand what was going on. He was patient in all of his trials. We are in trials and tribulations. The war between God and Satan is for our souls. It is to get us to, uh, Satan is trying to, to get us to believe lies, to persuade us through circumstances and our experiences to believe lies. It begins simply between, there's two kingdoms, there's not three kingdoms. We've been taught to believe it's about me, it's my, you know, it's my fault, um, I should have known better, um, it's my flesh. All of these little cliches that people throw at you because you can't seem to get your act together and figure out how to be a good 
person and a Christian. Let me burst your bubble. Hopefully, all of us don't have this bubble. That it's not about being good at all. Not at all. Jesus never said to his disciples, guys, I'm taking off now. Here's a couple final words. Really got to pay attention. You need to be good to get to heaven. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been counterfeited by Satan's look-alike, be good gospel. And when you try this be good gospel, Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. So the fruit of this be good gospel that you and I have all got started in with whatever church denomination or lack of church, it's all the same. It starts with Santa Claus. It says, be good. If you're going to be good, then you get rewarded. You get, you know, responsibility, you know, grow up, take, be a good citizen, blah, blah, blah. Be good, be good, be good, everywhere. And when you try to be good, what happens? Especially if you're told that in the church, what happens? You fail. You, you sin. Satan loves it, loves it, loves it, loves it when you sin because then he can begin to, he can begin to reform you according to his lies. So we, we try to be good. We get, we get the be good gospel in your church. Then you give up. We're walking through the phases of the be good gospel. You give up. Then you get mad. You get mad at yourself. You get mad at God. Why? If God is so good, then why? Why is he doing all this? And so God's character, there's a defamation of God's character in your mind by Satan who's, you know, blaming God because he's too hard on you. Or he flips it and blames you, that you because you weren't able to carry out all the the commandments and this and that. So it's, it's, it's be good, get mad, then you go away. How many people have gone away from their churches, given up on God, given up on themselves, this doesn't work for me, um, you, know, it, you know, it's just doesn't work, I'm, I, I can't get it, it doesn't really work. So they give up on their lives they, and they go away and they get mad, go away. And then if they, if they don't go away, they stay in their church and gossip. They gossip. They begin to judge everybody else's walk and compare themselves with each other, blame and, and, and criticize this one, that one, comparing themselves. And the church is a total mess. It's a mockery. The church that we know as or call the church is a mockery to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know this seems pretty harsh, but you know what? Look at the fruit of the church. The most, if you're still in there trying to make something of yourself or reform the church, you are the church. You are the church. This today is the church. And if you look at your church and you look around, you say, well, where do we get that tradition? And, and why do we wear vestments? And why do we have liturgy? And where do we get bulletins? And why do we, you know, um, have to sit in pews? And, you know, why do we have a nursery? Why do we have program? What, you know, where's that in the Bible? Where's that in the book of Acts? Where is the power? We don't have, we're all trying to figure it out, do it better, do it over, reform, get our act together, and we're, nope, we have no power. No power. The only power we have is the power to condemn and get mad at ourselves or blame somebody else or go try something else, some new fad, some new thing. Stay where you are, read your Bible. It will change your DNA. If you want to work with your DNA getting corrected, yeah, I say good food. Yes, that's part of the obedience. The very second commandment in the Bible is eat the food God gave us to eat. Okay? First one is be fruitful and multiply. The second one is eat the herbs and eat the fruit with the seed. That's, that's, God says that's how you run this body, this organic, wonderful, dynamic, living organism. You feed it living things. What happened to Adam and Eve? The first sin was over food. 
and we have not stopped sinning against God by food and using use of food, improper use of food, eating wrong food, sinning against our body, blah, blah, blah. But it was an act of rebellion. They ate the fruit that they were forbidden to eat. That was an act of rebellion. How many times a day do we rebel against the, the simplest commandments of God by the things we put in our mouth? By the things we... You, you see, you are being... Satan's whole job is to reprogram you. Now, he's got all kinds of wily and de deceptive and insidious lies. And he's got most of us working with him. Actually working against God, against the Holy Spirit, and taking sides with the devil's argument that he's making in the court of heaven against you. How does that all work? Well, let's go back to the basics. Okay, in the beginning, God, the great I am, created us as little I ams in his image. We are not me's. Me is a reflection. I am an I am. God made us to love what he loves and hate what he hates. God loves justice, truth, mercy, righteousness, peace, purity, holiness, goodness. God hates two things, sin and injustice. That's why when things aren't fair, you get mad. Because you're like God, not because you're acting like the devil. You actually, though, can quickly... You can actually very quickly turn into acting like the devil if you take matters into your own hands. Okay, so God made us as the great, as little I am's. Now this, very important, there are two, uh, two objectives in this war that Satan has identified. Two objectives, two things he must take out. Two things he must destroy. One is our concept of who God is. The second one is our concept of who we are. So when we're made in the image of God, what happens to us? At some point, we are conceived. We are known in the, eye, in the mind of God from the foundation of eternity, the world, whatever. But we, are, we enter, arrive onto the planet. Now, the minute you're dropped into the planet, we come into enemy territory. Satan, the God of this world, rules this world. So his first objective is to obscure conceal your true identity. Now, we are born into a snake pit called feelings. I mean, sorry, called experiences. It's full of lies. It's full of danger, treachery. That snake pit is what Satan is using to recondition uh, you to believe not that you are the daughter of the Son of the Most High God, but that I am a sinner. I am a sinner. And how many churches, a sinner, were sinners, a sinful human nature, that term is not even in the Bible, really. Yes, we do sin. The Bible doesn't say we don't sin. It says all have sinned. But Satan in this snake pit is trying to get you to believe that you are not a being. God calls you a human being. Satan wants you to believe you're a doing. There's a big, if, if Satan can get you on that first agreement, I am what I do. And you are trained up in that. Your parents train you to be good. The school, the systems, all telling you you are what you do. Uh, you're a good student. You're, you're a teacher. You're a, you're, you know, whatever. You are what you do. Or you're naughty because you stole, you lied. So I'm naughty. So you're, tr you're beginning to change your identity by coming into agreement with I am what I do. You are not what you do. You are who God says you are. Our whole society says you are what you do. 
Correct? Mm -hmm. You can't even live without thinking about that. I am, oh, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? I am, I uh. So in this experience, you're coming into the snake pit. What are the chances that you throw a baby in a mud puddle full of snakes? They're not going to get bitten dirty. What are the chances? But I have a question for you. Did you ever have a baby that got into a mud puddle? Or that got bit by a bumblebee or, or bit by a dog or a snake? Did you uh, throw the baby away? No, you didn't. Why didn't you throw the baby away? Did you throw the baby in the bathtub and get him washed up and put clean clothes on? Oh, that's possible? That baby was not its clothes? That baby was not the mud on its skin? You, you could tell the difference between the baby and what had happened to the baby. Right? So can God. He knows exactly what's going on. He said, well, then why did God put us down here? Well, first of all, God did create a remedy. It's called the, the rock. Christ Jesus. Put the rock right in the middle of the pit. And he lifts us up, whosoever will, onto the top of that rock. That doesn't mean that the devil won't try to get you to jump off the rock or throw mud balls at you and try to get you to, you know, stay there paralyzed and afraid. I might do something wrong. But the other reason God created us to go through this is so that we could be made into the image of Jesus Christ. We are warriors. We're called to be conquerors. We're called to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. Not little goody two-shoes who sit in a pew and don't know what to do with themselves. Besides, I don't want to go out there and get in trouble. I just got to be good, be good. No, God called us to be warriors. Do you think Paul looked good to everybody, St. Paul? Do you think Paul says, I am doing things I do not want to do? Uh-oh, uh-oh, we have truth here. What are we going to do with it? It's too, it's too exposing. Paul is saying, I am doing stuff I don't want to do. I thought he was a saint. Why don't anybody ever preach on Romans chapter 7? I'll get to it. I love chapter 7. He says, Paul says, he is a saint at this moment. He is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to believers. And he says, I am doing things I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. He says, it is, it is the sin that dwells in me. He says, with my inward man, I agree with the law of God that it is good. Do you agree with the law of God that it is good? Yes. Do you feel guilty when you sin? Yes. Why do you feel guilty when you sin? Stop and think about it. You're not built to sin. That's why it doesn't fit you well. It is, it's not normal. Your divine nature, you're not built to sin. That's why you feel guilty. Your little spirit is built to resonate with God, with his truth, his word, his love. And you know it. You know it when it's there. But most of the time, we do not walk in the spirit. We walk in, a, in our soul, which is that combination of things we learned in the snake pit. Okay? So we're, wa we're walking in the, the world's agenda. The world is working desperately to program and train every new little member of the world. They train you from the baby food they feed you all the way up to the church they take or don't take you to to the words they put on. It is so contrived. There is no way that without the intervention of the Holy Spirit, any of us could survive any of this at all. This is a hostile place. So don't be so hard on yourself. Okay, so let's go back to God. You say, well, why did God do all this? I'll explain this. I hope I get to this part. If I don't, I, anyway. Um, so this is a hostile world. So Paul says, I'm doing what I don't want to do. He says, it is the sin that dwells in me. I thought he was saved. 
Yes, he is saved indeed. In Romans chapter 6, he died with Christ, as we all did. And that gave us, that was the exit to get out of from under the God of this world. So we're dead. When a, de a man is dead, he doesn't have to be in this world anyway. He doesn't have to pay any more taxes. Dead men don't sin. Romans 6 says, render, reckon the old man dead. Don't live after the experiences of feelings, emotions, flesh, da-da-da, lies, lies, lies. He says, reckon. But God had two problems. Two problems. The church doesn't know how to deal with the second problem. God's two problems are, number one, we had been born into the devil's world. Problem number two, the devil had downloaded his operating software into our world, into our souls. Yuck. How does that happen? How do I know? Can I prove that to you? Yes. Keep reading in Romans chapter 7. He says the things, he says, I agree with the law of God. He says, but the things I don't want to do, I'm doing. He says, I see this war. Here's that word again. War going on inside of me, the one who wills to do good. This is Romans 7. So even after he's saved, he's still got this war of stuff going on inside of him. Then he says, you know, then he says, Romans 7, 20, this shoots the theories, all the demonic, humanistic, world vision, worldview theories in the head. Paul says, if I am doing what I do not want to do, it is not me doing it. You take blame for everything in your life. I should have, I could have, or you find someone else to blame. We don't ever blame the devil. Oh, don't blame the devil. Don't You can't blame the devil. For, he's not responsible. You're, you're talking too much about the devil. Oh, yeah? Oh, he couldn't possibly do all the... Yes, oh, he couldn't? What did God say? Do you realize if you would take a scissors and cut out everything, just skip, skip the Old Testament, just go into the New Testament, just cut out everything that has to do with devils, evil one, Satan, you know, the, the roaring lion, the going seeking who he can devour. Just go ahead and cut out. I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Cut that out. Um, uh, no weapons formed against you. Cut that out. You, you would have such a holy Bible, you couldn't read it. But you see, the thing is, the Christians have been dumbed down to think you don't have to deal with the devil. You can't. But why did Jesus say, I give, he says, he says, preach, here's the job list. Go ahead, preach the gospel. He said to the guys, Matthew 10. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, yeah. freely received, freely give. Yeah. Why would he say that if it wasn't necessary to do it? Mm -hmm. And Jesus cast out devils all the time. Some of them made people sick. Deaf. Yeah, he named them by what they did. Deaf and dumb, unclean, mute, spirit of infirmity, spirit of heaviness, spirit of stupor. This, this thing is big. This is really, really big. But anyway, so Paul says, I am, it's not me doing it. He says, he says, Romans 7, if I am doing what I don't want to do, it's not me. Do, I, I don't have to. Paul, God didn't say, okay, Paul, erase that now. You got to write the word responsibility. You need to take responsibility for your actions. Did he say that? No. no. That word responsibility, by the word, is not in the proper translations of the Bible. It's a demonic word that we use all the time. You use it yourself, against yourself, against others. They, responsibility is a demonic word. It's a human word. It is not a biblical word. It's not. If it would be, this would have been a perfect place, Romans 7:20, for God to say, Paul, tell them to, they need to take responsibility for their sin. They need to own it. They need, now, God did say confess. God did say repent. 
but he didn't say, you know, take responsibility. Jesus took the responsibility for your sin. Your good deeds are an insult to the cross of Jesus Christ because you're saying to him, well, your blood wasn't quite enough. Now I have to be good to make it work. Jesus said it's finished. If we live with those three little words, it is finished. If you wrote that over your life, you would rest a lot more. You wouldn't be as anxious. It's no it's not, not your problem. It's already taken care of. The Holy Spirit is sent to lead you into all truth. That is God's Holy Ghost guidance system, GPS, downloaded right inside of you because he knew how, how the devil was going to work. So let's keep going, and I'll prove to you that, that what's going on here with the spiritual warfare is big time inside of us. So Paul says, if I'm doing what I will not to do, it's not me doing it. How many of you have done something you didn't want to do? How many of you tried to quit doing something you didn't want to, you wanted to try to quit? You couldn't quit. You, could, you were addicted. You, there was something taken over in your life. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 in the, in the Amplified says, Paul says, let not, or don't permit, permit not sin to rule as king in your mortal, short-lived, perishable body to make you obey it in its lusts, cravings, and evil passions. God, when he talked to Cain, says, sin is crouching at the door. This sounds like a personality to me. So sin is not just the behavior that we address. Sin comes is the fruit. The root is a lie. You get rid of an evil tree by plucking out the lie. That's why Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sin is not your problem. The lie is the problem. Sin is a problem, but not the problem. The lie is the problem. So he says, okay, if you've ever been kidnapped, you've been taken somewhere you did not want to go, you can imagine. Did you will to go there to that warehouse to be tied up? No. But you were doing it, were you not? Well, why were you doing it? Because you were forced or coerced. How does the devil get us to do stuff in the first place? How does the fisherman get the fish to bite the hook. The fisherman, that's the trick. The fisherman has got to get the fish to come into agreement with the hook. That's the trick, the skill of being a deceiver on the lake with a fishing pole. You try to figure out where the fish is going to be, what he likes to eat, and what time he likes to eat. And you get that hungry fish. You don't get a full fish. The full fish aren't going to bite your... But you dress the lie with a little morsel of truth and then you deceive the fish. So the little fish is hungry looking for lunch and ends up buying the lie and becoming the lunch. Eve bought the lie that the tree that she was looking at was good for food and, one, and there to make one wise. She wanted to be wise. She wanted to be more like God. What's so bad with that? Appearances didn't look bad. What's so bad with wanting to be wise? Well, it opened up the whole Pandora's box to everything we've got going on in, in our world nowadays. So, to be more like God, she, became, she disobeyed. To get lunch, you become hungry, you swallow the hook. So, it's your desire for goodness, your, your desire for holiness or righteousness that gets us to do penance and go to church and buy into all these rules that God, God's, for you and I, if you're a saved person, the law is done. God took care of it. it Jesus says, 
it is fulfilled, it is completed, I've come to complete the law, all the law is fulfilled now in this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything has been upgraded. The Ten Commandments, you just can't kill anybody. You didn't have to love them, you just couldn't murder them. But now, God's upgraded it to impossible. If I couldn't, you know, before I couldn't keep the law before, and now he's made it impossible. So the only way I can do it to love truly the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, is for the, is for the Holy Spirit to do it in and through me. So, all right. So back to Paul. So he says, if I'm doing what I don't want to do, it's not me doing it. So Paul didn't say, okay, it's my fault. I'm guilty. I should have. You see, the, the agreement Satan's has got to get you to make with him is that it is your fault and you are guilty. Then he can bring in his demonic punishments. And the way he does that is by keeping the law alive in the life of a believer. Most believers are not living in the New Testament. They're living right here, right here in the spine. And they're spineless because the law has been completed in Jesus Christ. The law could never make you righteous in the first place. And Paul says in Galatians, I'm, who bewitched you, speaking of Halloween, yeah, yeah. who bewitched you yeah. into believing that you could do this in your own strength? Miracles, the working of miracles, power in your life. Is that going to come from, you know, good theology? No. Memorization of the Bible? No. Good deeds, going to church, perfect attendance, Sunday school. Is that going to do it for you? You won't do anything until you're converted and you don't get converted until you cross the threshold and you don't cross the threshold until you get like Peter groveling in the sand because you denied Jesus three times. You got to get over yourself, get done with yourself and say, God, I can't do this. When you get converted, and that's what some of your fiery trials are all about conversion. It's all about surrender. And you're getting, whoa, 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 what did I do? What did I, how come, what's, you know, I, this shouldn't be happening to me. What did I do wrong? Who asked you that question? You need to start asking yourself, who said that? Who's talking to me? You assume every thought you have is your thought. You assume every feeling you have is your feeling. And you don't even question the possibility of there being a source other than you that's saying those things to you. Does this make sense? It's called self-talk. And if you don't say, who said that? Where are you from, heaven or hell? Because there's only two sources, there's only two kingdoms, and you don't have one of them. It's either God or Satan. It's that simple, and it's that easy but people say oh you just can't blame the devil for everything why not if it isn't god who is it well the devil's trying to make it you it's your fault you don't care you're disobedient you deserve this oh, guilt shame on. condemnation oh, and the minute like i said he gets you to believe you're it's your fault and you're guilty your body gets confused your body was created by god to tell you the truth and when you throw garbage food in it and garbage thinking in it, your body says your immune system created by God to protect you, your immune system starts to talk. Well, wait a minute. I, I thought she was good. Oh, but she, I hear her saying she's bad. I know God gave us the authority to protect her. I get But she has authority too. And she's saying, I should have, could have, and I didn't. It's my fault and I deserve. And your immune system gets confused. So your immune system, which is supposed to protect you, says, oh, okay, well, let's, let's send a few down to start eating up the myelin sheath because we don't know if she's good anymore, so we're confused. So when you have, a, you have an autoimmune system disease, like MS and diabetes and stuff, always the spiritual lies are confusion, self-hatred, guilt, I deserve to be punished and destroyed. That's right. Always. 
I mean, it's for everybody. Same thing. Devil doesn't do much different. He's pretty much kind of repetitive and legalistic and you, you know, so it's good in a way because now you can understand these things. And we, we got, okay, we'll just go back. Okay, go back to Paul. So Paul says, he says, okay, he gets to the point where he realizes he can't be good enough. He doesn't, it doesn't work. Then he says, I got this stuff going on in me that's not me. What am I going to do? Get your soul healed. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, miserable man that I am. And then he doesn't say, you should, you should always look at what the Bible doesn't say as well as what it does say. The Bible does not say a Christian cannot have a demon. It does not say that. As a matter of fact, there's a strong indication that some strong believers were operating under demonic influences and had demons at that moment in their life when, for example, Jesus said to James and John, they wanted to call down oh, lightning thunder, yeah. on, on the Samaritans. And Jesus didn't say, oh, you guys, what a bad example. I can't believe you just said that. What's wrong with you? You know, you need to take responsibility. You need to apologize to the group. It was such an embarrassment to everybody. We're trying to be spiritual here. What did he say? He said, you have no idea what spirit you are of. You have no idea who's listening to you right now. It's probably religion. And Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, Peter, then he said, get behind me, Satan. So he's separating Peter out from the demon. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get out of my way. I'm done with you now. And leave my boys alone. But those were pretty spiritual, I mean, examples. James, John, Peter, right at the top of the rank, you know, and they're being messed up with demons. Sure. Peter, I'm so I'm so sure I'll be with you, God. I can handle this. Where's the sword? I'll, he won't flip. He's he's hiding in the corner. Yeah. When the little ladies are up by the cross. Yeah. Bless his heart, but he did come back, and that was important. I mean, God knew he was going to do that, and God wasn't mad at him. Anyway, God isn't mad at you at all. Amen. He's not mad at you. He loves you. Yeah. There's two problems here. He loves us, and he's training us. And sometimes when you train your children, they thought you were mad at them and they misunderstood what you were doing and they took it personal and they felt bad. And if you didn't correct them properly, then the enemy got in and said, look at your parents. You did it wrong. You're such a screw up. You're wrong. You're bad. You're no good. Da, da, da. And so there's a problem here because you love your kids. You love them even when they're naughty, but you love them enough not to let that go and let them continue to think that's okay. So you're trying to train them. So God's trying to train us, wanting to train us, training us. And at the same time, the devil's using every opportunity he can to separate us from the love of God and make us believe lies about God and ourselves. So Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, I need to join a support group. I need to get my act together. I need to read that latest self-help book. Oh, I hate self-help books. There's no self-help over there at all. None. Those are weapons for war. Don't even go there. If you think you're going to get some self-help on anything, go to the Christian bookstore. (laughs) You'll find all your trinkets for Christmas, and you'll find all your books. And most of them in there, if they got published and if they're popular, they're not telling you the whole truth. Satan will use about 97% truth to tell a complete lie. Just like anybody wants to kill you, could use three drops of arsenic on a steak, and it would kill you. But... You'd have a good time eating the steak, and then you'd drop over dead. So I, you know, we're just so gullible and naive, and we think everything that looks Christian and has been promoted as Christian and advertised by the media is Christian. Go back into the Word of God. 
read, just read it for a while. Just, just don't wait for the preacher to tell you he's never going to get through all of it anyway. I mean, he can't live that long. Even if you stay in church every day, all the time, go read it for yourself and let the Holy Spirit tell you. But anyway, I know I'm sort of preaching. Just very good. Preaching, girl. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know, preaching, teaching. Anyway, Paul didn't say, I got to go get me a self-help group. He said, who, not what, not how. Just write this down. All the how do I's are from hell. All the how do I's, how do I? How do I keep my healing? How do I walk this out? How do I stay sober? How do I lose five pounds? Forget about losing five, five pounds. Don't, do not diet. Don't do that to your body. The first three letters of that word are die. It's death. Do not mess up your, your, um, your mitochondria. And your, don't, don't mess yourself up. Just eat properly. Rejoice in God. And it'll all take care of itself. Seriously. And if you have something going on that's spiritual in regard to food and toxins and can't absorb your food, ask the Lord what's the lie because there's a lie there. Seriously. You can't just eat your way into holiness. You can't eat your way into health. Health begins in the, in the relationship that we have with ourselves and with God. And then it flows over into our relationships with other people. So, okay, so Paul says, who will deliver me? Interesting. The Apostle Paul, right there. What does he imply? It implies he needs deliverance, right? Mm-hmm. Implies he needs deliverance. So he's going to get delivered. Who's going to deliver him? God. He says, I, and he answers his own question. Who will deliver me from what? This body of death. Now, he didn't have the word. You couldn't use the word. Didn't have it invented yet. The word programmed. Who will deliver me from this program, this operating software of death, this body of death operating system? Who will deliver me from this? And where did this get downloaded into the human being anyway? And where and when? In the garden. The soul that sins shall die. So they were being programmed in their soul. Now, let's get this straight. We're made up of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is not the same as your spirit. Your mind is not the same as your soul. Your mind is a part of your soul. Your soul has three parts also. Mind, will, and emotions. Now we have a body, that's your hardware, that carries your initial software, which was your soul. That got corrupted through the body of death operating system that was downloaded in the garden. So now Adam and Eve were believing lies, programmed by condemnation, programmed by guilt, confusion. And so God said he could not, he could not. If you separate the body from the soul, this is called flesh, by the way, body, soul together, flesh. If you separate them, your body becomes a corpse and your soul goes away and you die physically. He could not remove the software or remove the soul to get rid of that bad software. But So what he did is he created another set of software. We'll get to that in just a second. So... Satan downloaded that operating system of body of death into your soul. Your, mo- your soul is made up of what? Mind, will, will and emotion. Emotions. Now, when, when Joyce Meyer says it's a battle, the battlefield of the mind, that's not completely right. The real battlefield where Satan sets up the division is between your soul and your spirit. Your soul, with your soul, you have a mind, and with your mind, you think. You say, I think. So your mouth is telling you what part of your software you're using. You say, I think. Where did you get all those thoughts and ideas from? The pit, your experiences, what you were trained to believe, what was reinforced to you growing up. That's why the generational curses are so powerful. You're, they're, you're writ, they're written right into your life. 
or you make a decision with your heart and you, then you say, I feel. So if you listen to your mouth, your mouth, mouth will tell you you're using your soul, your, your, yes, you're using your mind, or you're using your heart. Now, with your mind, you say, I think. By very virtue of saying, I think, you're saying, I think, which means, I think, which means I'm not quite sure. What time? Is it, I think it's 9, is it, or is it 9.30, or is it 10? I don't know, I think. So, and your heart says, I feel. So you're, you're, when you're basing your decision on your feelings, that could you know, be determined by your blood sugar levels at that moment. <laughs> and in the morning, you feel great, and you're going to marry the guy, and at night, you don't feel good, and you're not going to marry him at all. It's up and down, so it's very fluctuating, very full of fear and anxiety. So, and your will says, I'm confused, because you said, you, I heard you say, I think I should go, but I also heard you say, I feel like I don't want to. So will says, I'm confused. So we have fear in the head. We, in the mind, we have, I'm sorry, we have, we have doubt in the mind, we have fear in the heart, and we have confusion in your will. Doubt, fear, and confusion. Three of the chief counselors of which kingdom? Darkness. Have or hell, right. So what are the chances hell is going to give you good directions on how to get to heaven? Okay, so why do we constantly, you know why you keep constantly going back into what do I think, what do I feel, write the pros and cons, figure it out, go get the opinions of 25 people, read the latest book, go to the internet, Figure out what to do. Why? Because you've been trained to do that. Because I got to figure it out. Who said you got to figure it out? Where's I got to figure it out and I need to figure it out from? Heaven or hell? That's right. You don't have to figure out nothing. But Paul says, okay, who will deliver me from this body of death? Then he answers his own question. I see, he says, I thank God that through Jesus Christ, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice what he's saying this right after he's told us he keeps he's sinning. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. And then he says there's no condemnation. Right now. What does that mean? That means right now there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who choose. Now you have an option. You can use the old software of the soul which is going to bring you into condemnation, which is where about 99% of believers are because they're always trying to figure out what they did wrong and it's their fault. And then they hear a sermon on Sunday morning that it proves it's their fault somehow, that God's mad at you. God's always mad at us for something. Why would you want to be friends with a God like that? Not me. He's waiting with a baseball bat. He's going to clobber you over the head. and He, he should have, you know, why if he's so good did he let all this bad stuff happen? Well, I had those questions myself for a while, a long time. But God showed me some very important things, which we'll get to in about four seconds. Okay, so Paul says, there's no condemnation to those who walk in the Spirit. What is that? That's the new software. That's the GPS Holy, Holy Ghost guidance system that's been downloaded into you. What is the Spirit? Jesus said that he said with his Spirit, it's his Spirit that is bearing witness with your Spirit. Your spirit is like the, the receptor site for the download of the revelation of God. Holy Spirit has been sent to do two things. Lead us into truth and triumph. Victory. Wisdom. Counsel. All the good stuff that God wants you to have. So he's been sent to lead you. Into, but, 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 the devil still has a chance here. If he can get you to use the old soul software. Walk in the flesh. The flesh is not bad. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. But in my flesh dwells no good thing. And that, that doesn't just go away. Satan just, oh, she's saved. Now I've got to leave her alone. No way. No way. Great. Those operating systems, those spirits that run those programs, those, those mindsets, 
those belief systems, they, they, they're there. And any way that he can influence you, oh, I'm so stupid, anything he can pull you back to, and he sets up his initial lies through traumas. Through, he sets them up with a crisis. Some of those crises begin in the womb. Now, here the, here's, here's the one rule. I didn't tell you yet the rule in the war. There's one rule in the war between God and Satan. There's two sides, of course, and there's one rule. And the rule is Romans 6.16, whom you yield yourself, servant to obey his slave you become. He who commits sin becomes the slave of sin. He who commits, and, he, and, and the devil says, no, no, no. He who commits sin is guilty. Does Jesus say that? He says, you become a slave. How do you become a slave? Through obeying or believing guilt, which guilt then motivates you to get rid of guilt because it feels weird and icky and you don't like it and you want to be clean and holy and, because you're made by God to want to be clean and holy. So to get rid of the guilt, what do we do? Well, in some churches you do penance. In some churches you do other things. I don't know what you do. I don't, I don't do anything. I, go, I do two things and God says, he says, repent and confess. That was the very first things Jesus opened up his ministry down here. He says, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. That means change your mind. Stop believing the lies. Repent and confess. What does confess mean? That means I cancel out the agreements I've made with the devil. Because the, all of this hinges on our agreement. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe your feelings? You're going to believe the devil is working through your feelings? Or are you going to believe what God's word says? That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Are you going to believe what God says? Or are you going to believe what you say? Or what the devil tells you you say or think. And you don't even discern that the strong man, Jesus talks about in Matthew 12 and Luke 11, the strong man who comes to plunder your house, stop you from taking your positions and your power in Christ Jesus, is setting you up in opposition to yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, 5, and 6. So that's Old King James. New King James scratches that. Not good. Sets you up in opposition to yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, 5, and 6. Old King James, sets you up in opposition. That is like this. Who has ever said to you, oh, you're your own worst enemy? Oh my Why would you be your own? Why would you do that? Well, because I'm perfecting myself. What a vain ambition is that? I'm already fine. I'm perfect. God loves me. I don't have those. I don't have any problems, really. And all the perfecting and all the tweaking and all the polishing and all the per persecutions and all the stuff... That God has designed for me to go through to be more like Jesus is his problem, and he's running me through the paces because, number one, bottom line on all your trials, all your problems, all your testing, guess what? You thought it was about you, didn't you? You thought you were being tested because you sinned. You thought you were being tested so that you would, be, you would know what's in your heart or that God would know what's in your heart. Like with Abraham, remember the story, uh, taking Isaac up to the mountain. How many of you guys have heard the preacher say, well, God just wanted to know what was in, Isaac's, in, in, in Abraham's heart. Or God just wanted to know what was in Abraham's heart. If God doesn't already know what's in your heart for crying out loud, he doesn't deserve to be God. <laughs> Bottom line. Oh, Lord. God is God and he knows everything. Okay, so the test, get this, guys. This is bottom line, big time. The test is not about you. The test is a contest between God and Satan. And Satan is saying to God, I don't believe it. You can't keep him. I can take him out. A few little thoughts, a few little, a few little bad things. Look at Job. Uh, you give him everything he wants. Let me take him out. Let me test him and see if he really loves you. Amen. And God says, very well, but you cannot touch his body. Draws a line. 
So Satan goes out immediately, drops the, the, the lead on him, I mean, pulls out the, the, the rug from under him, takes his finances, takes his kids, takes his livelihood, takes everything in one fell swoop. We don't know how long it was, maybe it was two days, maybe it was two weeks, but basically lost everything. And then Satan had the audacity, but Job did not crack. He did not curse God. As a matter of fact, he said, well, he was strong. He, wasn't, he didn't get it, but he says, naked I came into the world, naked I leave. You know, whatever, it's all God's deal. And then Satan came back, the sons of God. Oh, he went up into the presence of God. Don't tell me light and darkness. God and Satan can't be in the same place at the same time. Don't tell me that Christians can't have demons based on that analogy because it isn't even a true analogy. God and Satan can be in the same place at the same time and often are because God is everywhere and where in the world could the devil ever be that God isn't already then? Okay, so... So, Satan says, okay, but this time, this time, let me touch his body. God says, very well, but you can't take his life. So that's where we get the Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job knew something that got him through the trial, and yet, through all of what he knew, he still had not been converted. At the end of that thing, after his friends came and told him, you must have sinned, and that's the typical lie, uh, you must be doing something wrong or all this bad stuff wouldn't be happening to you. You must be guilty, da-da-da, you're a hidden sin. All of his friends spent all their time, and, and you know what? Then God revealed himself to Job, and Job says, wow, I knew about you, and now I know you. Wow, okay, cool. And then God, this is the best part of the whole book, and nobody ever gets this part that I know of. I've never heard anybody say anything. God says to Job, he says, and I've said this to some of you who heard it right, he says, I want you to pray for your friends because they have not spoke that which is right about me concerning me. They have made me look bad. They have made, they've laid all this on my doorstep because I am the one who has all power and this is my fault. And therefore they made me look bad. Nobody mentioned the devil. God never mentioned the devil. God never said, Job, do you know who really did this? God does not rat on the devil because he already told you about the devil. God doesn't have to defend himself. His Holy Spirit will do the work. Jesus did the work. You and I have to believe. It's a promise. It's so God does not lie. So anyway, going back to the, so what's happening here is it is God's workmanship in us, Ephesians chapter 2. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. It is God's workmanship in you that the devil is testing. And it is God who is being tested here, not you. God is able to keep that which we've committed to him against that day. God is able. He will prevail. And you, he will go as far with you as you will let him. God will take you to the fullness of what he designed for you to walk in, the power, the authority, that you will let him. If you stop and say, oh, God, I can't. No, no, no. And you believe lies and you're bucking up against self-hatred or in, uh, insecurity or anxiety. Where's anxiety from? Lies. From hell. All right, well, what is, what's the lie anxiety tell you? A lot of the devil does is he puts you on a torture rack. There isn't just one lie. There isn't just one devil. There's two, and they put you on a torture rack. All right, so the, 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 here's the deal. So God and Satan, okay, so Satan sets you up on a torture rack. Here's how it begins. Okay, he sets you up with, let's just go to the womb. By the way, before I tell you how he, did, how he gets you on the torture rack, there's three ways. He, he has to get us to agree with him, right? Agreement is the big deal. That's why confession is the big deal, because you're canceling out the agreement. There's three or four ways that Satan gets you to agree with him. Number one is through conscious or unconscious agreement. Sometimes you make an oath and you say, I'll never do that. I'll never let anybody get close to me again. Jesus said, don't make oaths. Do not 
Don't go to the Masons and make all those oaths and all your great-grandparents who made those oaths. You're suffering under their oaths. Cancel them out. Uh, if you don't know what they are specifically, then get a book and read about it and do it just by the grace of God. Okay, so here's the deal. So he gets them through conscious and unconscious agreements. For example, if you're in the womb and you're being born and you get stuck in the birth canal. Okay. What's going to happen to you? You're going to panic. Freak out. Gonna die. What if you're stuck and you got the cord wrapped around your neck? Okay. Who do you suppose is trying to kill you right about now? Devil. Okay, so what happens is every time you move forward, that cord pulls you back and chokes you. So every time, this is your pattern now, Satan's setting up a pattern for your life. Every time you try to make progress, go forward, reach a goal, go towards life, go towards truth, da da da, you get pulled, choked back. So those kind of people have a real hard time making any progress because every time they try to make progress, they're being yanked back. So if you go forward at the risk of dying. Not everybody has that, but that's a pattern now. You, that'll be applying to your businesses or going to school, getting assignments done, your marriage, whatever. He will apply that pattern over and over and over in different ways to your life. But, okay, so over here you're in the womb panicking, freaking out because you can't breathe, you're stuck, claustrophobic, gonna die, fear of dying. And I gotta do something, <laughs> right? So I gotta do something. So devil number one gets you over here stuck and afraid you're gonna die. Devil number two comes in with a solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. Solution is what? Take control, yeah. freak out, kick and scream. Born with colic, how many kids are born with colic? Mm -hmm. Because they're freaked out already. So now you're gonna take control because I have to protect myself because nobody else is there. So now I've got over here, I'm afraid I'm gonna die, over here I gotta take control. Now what happens when you try to take control? Run into more walls, run into more rejection, run into more stuff. So now devil number three comes and gives you a solution to what they're all doing. So now you're pretty soon you're, you're strung out on this torture rack. Anxiety says what? I am anxious. When you perceive anxiety, your hypothalamus in your body registers it as fear, fight, and flight, etc., etc. So it sends the message of anxiety. What is anxiety? Over here, I've got a zillion things to do. It's up to me, right? It's up to me. Got to take control. Up to me. I'm stressed. If I don't do it, who's going to do it? Anxiety, right? Okay. But over here, I have the demon of confusion because confusion says, I have no idea what to do. I don't know where to start. I'm paralyzed. How many people sit in a room that's all full of clutter and they don't know where to start? Or your, your day, you don't know where to start. You've got to clean the kitchen and you don't, your office. You don't know how to... So over here, you're confused. Over here, I'm overwhelmed. When they come together, fight and flight is also paralysis. You freeze and, you're in, in, and, you, and anxiety just... I don't know what to do. I, and your body is sending this message. It's kind of like grind. It's like revving the engine, burning up the engine while your brakes are on and you're sitting in the driveway. Mm -hmm. You rev the engine and you're going to burn out the systems because you're worried and anxious and fearful and don't know what to do. Now, if you do this, anxiety, spirit of anxiety, where are you from? Where are you from? Satan. Hell. Okay, so 
Does he have a right to be there? He might think he does. You might still have a little, a little toehold you've given him, a little agreement. Now, I told you one way, conscious or unconscious agreements. Now, there's some more tricky ways that the devil claims, you know, he has a right to do this to us. And they say, well, I'm a Christian. This is under the blood. Well, that makes him illegal now, doesn't it? So that's when we go to court. The devil is trespassing on the temple property of the Most High God that he did not buy or pay for or make. And besides, I give my heart to Jesus, not the devil, right? Mm -hmm. So the devil is illegal. God is the only one who has legal ownership to us on all three counts that legally you can own something. By getting it given to you, by uh, you know, buying it, or by making it. And so, so the devil, he, the second way of getting you to agree with him is called passive agreement. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil. How many of us just put up with it? Ignore it, deny it, turn the other way, go, the, you know, the devil will, oh, turn the second, you know, go, uh, turn the other cheek, go the second mile. Yeah? Oh, that's enabling. You can't do that. You know what? That's another demonic word. Enabling, codependency, boundaries, uh, balance. Those are not God words at all. They're not in the Bible. And if you try to walk your life out on balance and boundaries and fear of enabling, Jesus said, go the second mile, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, oh shake the dust gosh, off and I don't eat with word. them. Oh, forgive me. Yes, I read. Which one is it? Oh, my God. Oh, is it this? this my, my life is a, because I'm trying to do some self-help author who figured something out that is garbage. Here's the deal. You don't say anything about this or this. You say, Lord, what time is it? Is it time for me to go the second mile in this thing? Or is it time for me to shake the dust off and go away? Holy Spirit, what time is it? What time is it now? I'm not going to worry about enabling or codependency, tough love, none of it. I'm going to just do what God says. Now, today he might say something, and tomorrow that person's heart may have changed, and God says, no, nope, now go back this way. And you say, well, I'm not double-minded. I'm just following the Lord. Come on. It looks like double-minded. Maybe it's somebody who's going to counsel you to, you know, whatever, but just walk with what the Holy Spirit says. So anyway, so we have passive agreement. And the other way, this is very tricky, is what we call implied consent. When there's an implied consent, that means what? That means there's an implication here that you are subtly going along with that you don't realize. For example, a Christian says, I just need to trust God more. What does that imply? This is even better. Jesus will heal me. Jesus is going to heal me. We hear that all the time. That is from de the devil. That is from hell. You hear other people saying, He's going to heal you. God's going to heal me. No, no, no. He did heal you 2,000 years ago. Before you were even born or had the problem. Now, if you walk with that, you don't have to put up with a zillion more complications to wait for your healing. Oh, I can't do that. Well, I know. I can do nothing of myself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where you get your power. It's not about you. It's not about you being good. It's not about you being perfect. It's not about you winning. It's not about, it's about God living his life and power and spirit through you. That's it. You're the vessel of the Most High God. That's the only way this is going to work. Does it make sense? Very good. Okay. Um, so implied consent. Now, what we need to ask, well, here's what you do. Okay, say, you hear yourself talking, thinking, saying something to your friend, saying something to yourself. Say, okay, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Who said that? 
Where are you from? Heaven or hell? Just you are designed to tell the truth, know the truth, recognize the truth, resonate with the truth because you're built by God. Now we have Calvinists out there who are as bad as evolutionists, really. They're the evolutionists in the church because Calvinists say that man is depraved. You know why they say that? Because they won't put the devil in the equation. You got God plus me equals all the trouble I see out there. Well, then either God's got to be bad or I've got to be bad. And who dare call God bad, so it's got to be me. So that's a lie. Put the devil back in the equation. Calvinists don't believe in spiritual warfare. They believe we're depraved because we do depraved things. Why do we do depraved things? Because the devil is depraved and we believed a lie. We've, we've, well, it was your choice. Yeah, well, did you choose to get up this morning to destroy your life? Did you say, I'm going to screw up my life today. I'm going to do everything I can do to wreck my life. That's my choice. I'm telling you, girl. How many of us wake up in the morning and want to destroy your life? Did you, any of you want? No. How many of you feel like your life is being destroyed, nitpicked, nibbled away by the devil? Yeah. Why is it? He tries, but he can't. But see, because you're still believing lies about stuff. And if, he, if he's got a, a, a hold in you for a while, it's going to manifest in your body and your health. Amen. You cannot, if you've got a health issue, you will not be able to get that reconciled until you get to the spiritual lie. I don't care how many vitamins you take. I'm, I'm all for good nutrition. Don't get me wrong. But I, it ain't my God. It is not my God. If I had to live on pumpkin seeds or if I had to live on green grass and that's all I got, God would keep me if he wanted to. And I'm not going to worry about that. But I am not going to tempt the Lord by God and go out there and drink diet pop. (laughs) Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't jump off the pinnacle of the temple and expect him to catch you because he said he will give his angels charge of you because that was a quote, a misquote by the devil to Jesus. And Jesus said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So don't put God in a difficult place because of your disobedience that forces him to have to act against his own word. When he says, don't do this, then don't do it. And you say, well, it was my choice. Well, like I said, did you make a choice? You know, the devil will come and say, well, you chose. Your friends will come, you made the decision. You chose. Like I said, did you make that? But why did you make that choice? If you weren't wanting to destroy your life, why do you keep drinking? Why do you keep smoking, doing those drugs? Why did you make that choice? Because you believed lies. You believed lies. And, and the spirit of craving had begun to reprogram you to hook into your psychological, physical being to now crave those things. So you could not stop. Therefore, when you're doing something you cannot stop, you need deliverance. You need a deliverance. You need that demon to be kicked out of you. Now, there's two ways to name the devil. You name the devil by what he holds on to, by what he holds on to, and by what he, and what he does. Jesus did them both. The Word gives us examples of both, of what he, what he does. The spirit of deaf and dumb, spirit of mute, spirit of ang- um, uh, uncleanness, spirit of infirmity. We named some of those already. So you are making a choice believed on based on a lie and then you get discouraged and despairing and condemning of yourself and give up and believe another set of lies like I can't do it I've got to do it it's my fault I'm bad so guilt has three friends his three friends are pain how do you know this what's the lie guilt tells you very simple he says I'm guilty right Hmm. if I'm guilty then I'm what I'm bad I don't deserve good things and I deserve to be punished right so I deserve to be punished. What's the definition of punishment in the dictionary? Pain. Pain. How many people are carrying around pain? 
because you believe you're guilty because you broke a law that doesn't even exist in God's book anymore. And yet the devil's convinced you that somehow you're guilty. God's mad at you because you broke a law. And God says, what are you talking about? I took care of that law. You're over here in my grace. Now, that doesn't mean we abuse grace. The only way you can talk about grace in God's context of grace, and by the way, the reason God gave us grace is because he knew how the demons worked and he knew how horrible it was down here yeah. and he knew there's no way that we would ever be able to even figure it out without his grace. The only way you can talk about grace, the kind of grace God talks about, he says, grace, mercy, peace be unto you, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. Read it. It's in the, all the epistles. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. It's within the first seven verses of every single epistle, except maybe one or two. I don't know if it's in that, um, what's the one he wrote on this affair? Um, uh, Philemon, I think. It's not maybe in there. But anyway, so um, you, you have God's grace when you understand the demonic spirits and the spirit of, of warfare. So you have to put demons in the equation. But going back for a second, I kind of dropped this with the, um, the Calvinists. Oh, I'm sorry, that too. Uh, the Calvinists, I'll get to the three, that we have pain, but the Calvinists are making it all about, listen to this, that I am depraved. Wow. If I am Whoa. depraved and made in the image of God, then that's not working for me real well. It's not working for God either because he must be depraved. Well, actually, God must be depraved because here's the deal. If I'm so depraved, I cannot accept salvation on my own, and it's not whosoever will, it's whosoever he will. Then he picks who's going to be saved. Sovereign. They have this word sovereign, which isn't in the Bible either. Sovereign is a word in the NIV. It's not in the Bible. You think the NIV is a Bible? I don't think so. It's a mess. It's a mess. Come on. Get yourself a decent version. It's one that's true and accurate. Okay, so then... So then, you know, God picks who he's going to have saved because he's sovereign and he picks. No. And then yeah. you're saved according to... But, problem, problem. Huge. God is making everybody. He's creating everybody. But he's knowing ahead of time because he knows it, that some of these people are going to go to hell. So God must be depraved if he's making babies that he knows are going to go to hell. No. Now, God doesn't do that. It's, why can't he do He cannot do that. Why can't he? Because this is all based on love. What is love? Love is a decision to be loved, to love. It's not a coercion. Somebody doesn't grab your arm and say, you're going to love me. Do you hear that? God doesn't grab your arm and say, you're going to serve me. You're going to be saved. I don't care if you want to or not. God is love. You have got to respond by believing in the promises of God. With God, it's all about promises. With the devil, it's all about programs. Doing, works. With, with, with God, it's about relationship. With the devil, it's all about religion. It's bad. You know, if you want to get a good look at that, I should tell you more, the, the uh, diagnosing your family tree. I was in the middle of writing that about, you know, all the generational curses, which I haven't even started talking about. That's what we'll be talking about in the Book of Lies. Um, we hadn't even, you know, it was, yeah. But in the middle of that, God starts talking to me about the biggest lie of all, and that's the one where we mix law with grace. Romans chapter 11, read it for yourself. If you, don't, if you mix, it says, it, he says in verse 5, there's a, a remnant according to the election of grace. And if it is of grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And if, if it is of work, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. It's called mutually exclusive. You can't have both of them and you cannot mix them. You have one or the other. And God says, if you mix them, listen to this. 
He says, and God, this is, um, what then? Has Israel obtained what it seeks? No, but the elect have obtained it and the rest were hardened. What happens when you're hardened, religious, rigid? What happens with your breathing? What happens with your, um, your, uh, your vessels in your body when they get hard? You get sick. You can't move your blood through. You can't get your air. You can't, yeah, all kinds. Of, that's religion is at the root of a lot of these health issues. So you're hardened. Not only that, he says, just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, hear to this very day. What? God has given them a spirit of stupor? Stupor? A spirit of stupor would be from hell, right? Why has God given them a spirit of stupor? Because he had to permit what he had to permit. Because the devil came to him in the high court of heaven and says, but God, look it, they are mixing law and grace. They are not believing your son died and that was enough. Therefore, I have a right to harden their hearts. I have a right to put this stupor on them. And God says, yeah. Is anybody going to stand up and defend them? Jesus says, I do. I defend them. So then what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to work in you to draw you to the truth. But until you get to that place where you confess the sin and acknowledge the truth, you're still in that place of stupor. The whole church basically, I hate to be generalizing here, but most of the church, you see there's no power there. They're dead. Because they're under a stupor. They don't even see it, guys. I have a right to speak about this. I've been saved for over 47 years and pastoring with my husband at least 35 of those years. I saw it in Catholic. I saw it in Pentecostal. I saw it in Lutheran. I saw it. We see it. It's everywhere. And I'm sick of not saying anything about it because you guys are the warriors and you have power and Jesus loves you and he's ready to move now. He's ready to move. We're at the end of it. We're at the done of it all. Yes, ma'am. We're at the and, and we may not rapture as quickly as we might think. We might meet him in the air. He's coming on a white horse and we might just be joining him in the air. You never know. We may not get to sit and party in heaven for seven years before he gets around to coming back. This is bad. But you know what's really good? is the power of Jesus Christ that he can demonstrate through you to help others will convert Amen. them. Amen. It will set them free. This is, this is not about who rules this world. This world is a trash heap. Amen. And our leaders are there because we have be, are being judged because we open the portals to witchcraft and idolatry. And that's a judgment. And I don't care how much you chit-chat about them and have, you know, listen to the people who don't like him and gather together your weapons and prepare for war and guns and da da. That's not what's going to take this thing out. What's going to take it out is the power of Jesus Christ in the individual life to set them free. Yes. When people see the power and demonstration, do you think those 20 somethings are going to not pay attention anymore? They are going to be on board before you can turn around. I tell you what, those 20 somethings are going to pass us up. They are. Because they're coming into my offices now, and they don't even know what's going on. And I'm saying, I see it, Lord. Yeah, I see what you're doing there. It's good. And they're ready for war, and they don't even know how to load their weapons yet. But anyway, yes, but the three, okay, get back to guilt. Guilt has three friends. This is very important. And every demon out there basically has lies that he tells you. Okay, guilt, he, I'm, I, am, I am guilty. I deserve to be punished. That would be, that would be pain. A lot of Christians are in that place of demonic judgment because you have believed you broke God's law, and now the devil's the one who said, you broke God's law, God made that law, now God's mad at you, therefore the guilt you deserve to be punished, and God is the one punishing you because he's mad at you because you broke his law, and God is saying, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I took care of the law. Why are you still believing the devil? Because the law makes us transgressors. 
But you're not a transgressor. If you're saved, you're saved. Do you believe you're saved? Yes. All right, then. What's your problem? <laughs> Lies. Lies are the problems. We are being deprogrammed by the Spirit of God. Okay, so, so guilt also says, I don't deserve good things. So you have poverty. Yes. How many Christians are being sat? Oh, they, this is the favorite of the God of Mammon. I can't afford it. I can't afford to go into ministry. I can't afford to do this. I can't. He's holding onto the purse strings of your life. That's enough of that devil. You're not signing off on what God is telling me to do. God's going to give me the grace and strength. I'm not going to go stupid and say, God told me. Maybe that was an antichrist spirit who sounds like God. And there's a lot of that going on in the church too. Because the devil impersonates you to yourself. He impersonates God to you. And he, and he impersonates in marriages and relationships. He has a third person impersonator where he gets you to believe you understand that other person and you don't know them. But you think you do, so you operate as if you know them. But that's their demon. That's a demon. And you're reacting to that other person's demons. And you're, you're not even talking to the person you're married. You're just playing back and forth with demons. It's a third person impersonator. Anyway. And the third friend of guilt is called infirmity. I am bad. That's where you get your immune system problems. I'm bad. If I'm bad, then your immune system goes wacko and confused and doesn't know what to do. So it begins to eat you up. So wow. that's, that's just guilt. We haven't even talked yet about uncleanness or fear or any. You know, if you don't know how to name a demon, name them by what they do. If you can't think of any other names, all the demons are fearful and unclean. So you can just call them that if you can't think of anything else. But naming demons is good. Because Jesus did it. And the other thing, the final thing I'm going to say about this is the other type of demon is the one who is the territorial spirit and they hold on to things. The the, the prince of of Persia um, in the book of Daniel. The prince of Persia was a ruling principality in Persia and when the angel Gabriel came to Daniel to give him the message after 21, he says, Gabriel apologized to Daniel. He says, sorry, took me 21 days to get here. God heard you the very first day you prayed, but... I had to get Michael to help me because I was having trouble getting past the Prince of Persia. Every nation, every region, every state, every street. Every street. Every place. They're demons. They've got to have a little hold on something. And there's a hierarchy of them. So any place where, you know, and in you, there's a demon over you. A one assigned to you. And he uses your name. So you name the territorial spirits by the names of the properties they hold on to. So what's your name? That's the name the demon is trying to use to control you and to claim you. If you've been named after someone else in your family then and they're passed away or they're still alive, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You got a part of their name, then you'll also have that same demon. Mm-hmm. If you have a middle name of James and your great-grandfather's name was James and he was a tycoon or he was a, a pervert or whatever, <laughs> then that spirit will come down and claim you, especially after they get homeless and that other and the person dies when those when you die the spirits if there's any left around they will go to the most next familiar person in that bloodline because they don't want to be homeless so if you have a problem after your parent dies or somebody dies and you see yourself or your son or something getting worse that's why well number one if the you know we don't need to be so scared that oh this demon is going to get into me what you, what you recognize is when he comes knocking on your door, you say, no, Mm-mm. you're not coming in here. No, you spirit of perversion, you spirit of anxiety, you spirit of death, whatever. No, you're not. You can say that every day a million times if you need to. No, you will not. If he causes you to lose your keys in the morning, you will say to him, no, you will not. You're not messing up my day. You're not hiding my stuff. You're not breaking my, 
you know, furniture. You're not, you know, no, you're, whatever you see him doing, you say no. No, you will not. So there's two ways to name the demons by what they hold on to. And like the prince over Minnesota, the prince over Wisconsin. And every state has their own particular set of Regions. demons and characters, just like every nation. If you stop and think of the four first words that you use to describe any country, like say the Italians, the Swedish, the Germans, the first four words that come to you are that are negative, which usually most of them are, are the words of the main controlling spirits over that nationality. You are being programmed. We get programmed by what we listen to music-wise. You know, that's why I listen to very little. By what we look at, by what we eat, by what we breathe. Everything you come into an agreement with, whether you're rubbing it on your skin or listening to it or eating it or practicing it, you're coming into agreement with something. Is it God? If it's not God, cancel out the agreement, confess your sin, and go on with your life. You don't have to get into penance and practice. You just say, God, forgive me. I believed a lie. I got tricked. The devil deceived me. That's what Eve said. The serpent deceived me. And God didn't say, well, that's too bad for you, honey. You made that choice. He did not say that. He immediately turned and cursed the snake. Immediately. He didn't say, well, I'm going to teach you a lesson, girl. He didn't say that. But then Adam, bless his heart, turned around and blamed his wife and blamed God for the wife he gave him. That was like <laughs> stupid. I mean, Adam, what were you thinking? You thought God was going to fall for that? All right, thank you for your attention, guys. I think I gave you enough for yes. the day. I have an emergency. What is your location?